0: Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can get to me on Twitter. Michael Gallagher on vacation. Well-deserved this week after covering a wild free agency period and the draft. But that means we get Adam Vingan, of course. Adam, welcome back to the show. How are you, sir? I'm good. Always a pleasure to be here. Still, even though you're not on the beat, man, you're still just as snarky on Twitter, and I appreciate <laughs> that. You can follow him on Twitter at Adam Vingan. Um, if you, if you need some of that pred snark in your life, he's still taking plenty of shots from the cheap seats. So (laughs) we we do appreciate having you, uh, we're not going to try to repeat everything we talked about last week on the show because we covered a lot of free agent strategy and we did a lot of projected starting lineup, but I want to sort of have you give us the 10,000 foot statistical analytical view of the strategy that the Preds are deploying under Barry Trotz. Some of the new faces, the new pieces, some of the pieces that are gone, maybe add some historical context to Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne's career here in Nashville. We talked a little bit about Johansson last week, not as much this week or not as much last week on Duchesne. So I thought we'd bring you in for that, Adam, uh, and then maybe set some expectations broadly and very early in the off season here for the Nashville Predators as they are currently construction, constructed in 23-24. I was, I was at a, uh, a kid's birthday party, good friend of the pod, who's been a season ticket holder for a long time, he looks at me and he's like, they still got space for one more big... This is where Preds fans are at, Adam. And I tell this story for, for a quick reason. He t- he goes, there's still space to make one more big move and stay relevant. And then in the very next sentence, he's like, and I think we probably need to trade Saros for something. And I was like... And this is a smart hockey guy, like a smart hockey fan who knows the team, been here for 25 years watching the team. Huge fan. And I kind of was like, I don't know. Uh, this is where Preds fans are. Like Even in from one sentence to the next, Adam, nobody knows what's going on, and what's going to happen with this team moving forward.
1: It is an interesting place to be in if you are a Predators fan right now because of where things appear to be going with all of the moves dating to the trade deadline and the the big decisions to trade Ryan Johansson and buy out Matt Shane. Leading into free agency, it really did feel like the Predators were finally going to take that step back, an actual step back, not the half in, half out, competitive rebuild type step back. But then on the first day of free agency, Barry Trots goes hog wild (laughs) and signs Ryan O'Reilly, Luke Shen, and Gus Nyquist. And... I remember seeing those moves and having an instant reaction of don't these moves seem counterintuitive to what the predators should be doing and I and I sat on that and I thought about it a little bit and my stance sort of softened over the course of a few days but I still come back to this idea that what happened to the step back what happened to what happened to giving the young players a chance to play and sink or swim. And they can still do that. To Barry Trotz's credit, although he added two veteran forwards and a veteran defenseman, who I figure are going to have big roles on the team next season, there are still spots for those younger players that we talked so much about down the stretch last season. Oh, oh yeah, there is. There is <laughs> a and of, a lot of space. There is a lot of space. And when the Predators bought out Matthew Shea and I did an exercise, I looked up the opening night lineup for the Predators last season, their game, their first game in Prague against the San Jose Sharks. And I just crossed off all of the guys who are no longer on the team. Four of the top six forwards that started that game, started that season with the Predators are no longer on the team. Mikhail Granlund, Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne, and Nito Niederreiter. Um, The only two members of the team, excuse me, the only two members of the top six on opening night that are still on the team are Philip Forsberg and Kiefer Sherwood. Remember, (laughs) Kiefer Sherwood started on the second line in that first game, scored the first goal of the season for the NHL in in 2022-2023. But that also includes Tanner Janot being gone, Ellie Tolvanen being gone. On defense, Matias Ekholm is gone. Mark Korvetsky is retired. So there, there is a lot of uh, a turnover. And, and this is where I think your story is interesting about the one you told about your, your friend that you just saw. Uh, you know, I, There are Predators fans that think this team needs one more player, um, whether it's someone like Vladimir Tarasenko or one of the other, you know, name free agents that's still available.
0: And then, know, there are, do you want to know what the name? You want to know what the name was that that he brought up? Patrick Kane. Bingo. And I was like, and I looked at him. I was like, I just, I, I know why you're saying that to me, but I can't, I can't do it. Like, Ed, I'm not supposed to be a fan. I am not a fan. But that's too much. That's a bridge too far for me, Adam. That that name is a bridge too far.
1: What's interesting is that because Patrick Kane had hip resurfacing surgery, which is, uh, which I believe only two other NHL players have had Ed Jovanovsky, an old, an older veteran defenseman who was in his prime 15, 20 years ago. I, think I we just that did that correctly.
0: And I think we just did that to my driveway. Actually, it was just to make sure we could get the cars parked <laughs> in there.
1: And most recently, Nicholas Backstrom, the, the capital center who
0: missed half the
1: season last season. And when he came back, he was not the same player. So, you know. Yeah that there's certainly some concern about what type of player Patrick Kane is going to be when he comes back and he may not come back until halfway through next season. So, but there would be people absolutely who would buy number 88 Predators, Patrick Kane jerseys. It would absolutely happen. Um, but yeah, I I think, I think it's a weird spot because I do think there are Predators fans who like the moves they made and like the fact that the, that the younger players are going to have a chance to, to have, higher roles in the lineup and more will be expected of them. And then there are predators fans who I think think along my lines, which is, is this, is this what this team should be doing? Should this team be committing pick a lane, somewhat significant term to older players and, and, and and ultimately finish ninth in the West again, so they can pick 15th in the draft again, where it's unlikely it's not impossible, but unlikely they find that type of player that Barry Trotz was so crazy about that he was willing to potentially trade Yaroslav Askarov to move into the top four of it, of the draft. You know, it, it is a really interesting spot. Um, my The way I would have gone about it, I understand what Barry Trotz is trying to do. I, I, I like the idea of bringing in the, the proven winners like O'Reilly and like Shen, but I would have done it. In a way that all of those players, not those players specifically, but veteran players who could still be that, you know, be those role models, would sign one or two-year deals, and then you would just flip them at the deadline every year. Like think about some of the players that signed one-year deals: Nick Felino, Corey Perry, Blake Wheeler after he was bought out, Jason Zucker. Like players, players like that. Sign them to a one-year deal. You're out of the playoff picture in early March. You trade them to a contender. You get some draft picks back. Then you do the whole thing over again next season. Next summer, you sign similar players to one-year deals, and you flip them, and you accumulate assets. That's what I would have done, as opposed to uh, signing the players they did to the contracts that they did.
0: Okay. Uh, first of all, Gold Standards brought to you by Jaspers. It is. Go to Jaspers. As Go to Jaspers, everybody. Uh, we were there, took the kids on Saturday evening. Uh, we had one of those days I went to like back-to-back concerts, uh, last weekend, Thursday night, I did Lucas Nelson at, uh, the Nashville palace, which by the way, if you've not been, if you want to feel like you're in old Nashville at like a gritty old roadhouse, go to a concert at Nashville palace and just hope that there's not a lot of tourists there. There was not a lot of tourists there for Lucas Nelson and Friday night you're you'll like this, Adam Friday night. I go, uh, with my buddy, uh, from Demi NXP, Mark, Marquise Munson, we go backstage after the killer Mike show, got to meet killer Mike, uh, after the the thing. So now I'm, hum- I'm humble bragging here. Um, but I needed a day. I needed a day where I did nothing on, on Saturday, last Saturday, my wife, she'd been working a lot. She needed a day where she had, my kids have been going crazy all week. We, we basically stayed in the house. It poured down rain. We watched movies all day and then we needed to get out of the house. So we get out of the house we're, we're, t- we're like, well, let's go for some place like halfway decent. Let's go someplace where it's like nice and the kids have to sit at a table and behave and, you know, like learn how to eat dinner out at a, at a halfway decent restaurant like that's not, you know, a bar, but like still fun. And we're like, Jasper's, this is the place, this is where we're going. We get out of the house, we get a free place to park, we walk right in. We have a, her and I, we get a nice meal out of the deal. They got a great kids' options for the kids, they got pizza. They got all kinds of great apps uh, and we get to eat at like a nice place that feels nice, but doesn't break the bank. And I get to, you know, keep an eye on what's going on in the sports world as well. So go to Jasper's everybody. Um, I think what's Jasper's, interesting, it's halfway decent. Your words, just saying <laughs> it's knew. more than halfway. decent. I knew I knew you were going to, I know it is, but like, it's not, it's not expensive. It's not, a, a. it's not, we're not going to like an expensive $60 steakhouse. You know what I mean? In fact, Four Top Hospitality, who owns Jasper's, has one of those too. And if you want to go, it's the best steak in the town. Go to go to Char in Green Hills. Big Char and fan over fantastic here. Fantastic place. Unbelievable crab cakes. Uh, this is an ad about Jasper's, but also go to Char. <laughs> I'm a Char. I, I am a Char Azar. Yeah, I am. I'm a big. I'm a big fan. And Did you get my Pokemon reference there? I do not know anything about. Oh Pokemon. my god. No, no. I'm. People are listening to this on my side. Okay. Um. Maybe I hope. Uh. My kids, though, my daughters love Amerigo, of course, because they want the lasagna and they want the pasta and the noodles and stuff. So they like they like it all. I'm not we were not. We talked about Char on Saturday. My wife and I were like, what are we taking to Char? And I'm like, I'm not spending twenty five dollars on crab cakes for my children. That's for me only. OK, <laughs> I, that's for me only. Um, but Amerigo, by the way, does have a great little four to six uh, happy hour where you can get like really good stuff like calamari. And anyway, go to Jasper's. Um. So I, what's funny is I think. To my friend's point, like he doesn't, he he wasn't saying this out loud, but what it felt like, and what you're saying, and I want I, we can get to your strategy, and but there really is this place where whatever happens could be construed as, and I'm gonna, this is me in the spin zone here, Adam. You could construe it as whatever happens in this next year, there's going to be something positive involved in that. And this is sort of where I, was at, at where I was at the end of last year when they were still fighting to get into the playoffs, but also had clearly traded all their pieces away, which is kind of whatever happens, you could argue that it's good. If they sucked and lost every game last year, and got a, that means they got a better draft pick, and that means they had better capital and their assets were worth more. But if they somehow figured out a way to sneak into the playoffs, great, you get a playoff series and you get playoff experience and you get young players gaining meaningful eight minutes in, in sort of like tough games down the stretch fighting for a playoff spot. And I kind of feel like that's how people are now asking and talking about their team, which is like, Oh, I'm okay trading Soros and sucking maybe. And maybe we get a high, really high draft pick. And maybe that's a big sign of the rebuild to bring up the Russian kid or Hey, these young, these older guys are going to give us just enough production to stay relevant. Our younger players develop and Soros is good enough to carry us to co- competing for a playoff spot. And no matter what happens in that, Within that window, you could argue as a Preds fan, it's a positive step for the franchise. Now, varying degrees of step forward, but a step forward because you're because tr- you've already you, you fired the coach, you make all the trades, you've hit the bottom of the, the 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 turnaround, right? You're at the apex of the turnaround, for lack of a better term. And I think that's where I think that's what the vibe I was getting from 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 people right now that talk about the team is sort of like, I, I I'm not sure which way we're going. I'm kind of okay with any of it. Do they make another move to bring somebody in? That way we're going to have more meaningful games. If they don't, they can trade Soros and we could have a terrible team, but then we get good draft picks. And I think people are kind of just resigned to the fact that whatever that is, it could be positive for the team. Is that, is that the right way to spin the whole thing if you're a fan? You know what? I I, I thought about this as we were preparing
1: to record. Let's say the Predators finish with the identical record that they finished with last season and they missed the playoffs. But, Luca Evangelista takes a step, a noticeable step. Philip Tomasino takes a noticeable step. Tommy Novak, you know, produces at a high rate like he did much of last season. Do you consider that a success? And at this point, I do think Predators fans, some Predators fans, I can't speak for all of them, would consider that a success in the sense that the team is not expected to make the playoffs. So even if they miss it, but the younger players that a lot is riding on take a step forward, then you can feel pretty good and hope that the following season, they take another step and and, and they become more competitive.
0: And they probably have a winning record playing in meaningful games down the stretch. I think, that, I think that's very clear, a first step in a progression, right? Right.
1: There are two things about, the end there are a couple of things about the end of last season that listeners longtime listeners of this podcast are not going to be surprised that i was a bit cynical about the things that were happening at the end of last season you a little bit skeptical um yes me um so i think it was it was mike johnson i believe it was mike johnson who works for tsn and he was on tsn's free agency show and they were talking about the signings of O'Reilly and Shannon Nyquist. He was talking about you know, the Predators as a whole. And he mentioned the idea of we saw this team fight down the stretch. A lot of younger players got a lot of good experience, but how much of their success, those young players specifically was a product of the fact that they were playing in a no pressure environment. Like they were technically still in the playoff race. But they probably weren't going to make it, and so many, some, so many of their top players were injured or traded, so they were playing with house money, so to speak. Now there are going to be b- bigger expectations on those players. Aluka Evangelista is going to come in with higher expectations from the fan base. Tommy Novak, Philip Tomasino, all the players I recently listed. They're all going to have eyes on them. How much does that change their, change their trajectory? And it's not a shock.
0: Eighty-two games is a lot more than thirty-two.
1: Correct. And those players, some of them, are not going to be in the same roles. Like Tommy Novak, to me, is the one that always the one that always stands out when I think about this. The first thing is when when we mentioned Tommy Novak among the younger players, I feel like we need to put an asterisk there because I believe he's twenty-six years old. Like he's a younger player in the sense that he's just now getting into the NHL on a regular basis, but ex- he's not a young. He's not a young player. Yes, he's an inexperienced player, but he's not a young player. He's not uh, in his 20, early twenties. He's in, he's he's in his late twenties.
0: There, there is no way fans can expect a point per game out of Tommy Novak this season. I think he that played is... at a seventy-point pace over a full eighty-two he, game. He season is going. He is going to regress. A chunk, and this is yes. where you this is where you give me some goals expected above per minute played in the offensive zone that you can tell me like this is obviously why he was shooting at forty eight percent or something crazy like <laughs> you know, something about Tommy Novak. I like the kid. I like how he plays. I like everything about him. I, everything you are saying, I agree with. But fans need to be real about his production last year.
1: Right, and there was a lot. There were a lot of things last season that he did well, like you know his ability. Obviously, he. He put up a lot of points, but he was actually pretty good defensively, too, you know, in in making in making plays defensively and winning puck battles and all of those things. You know, he was he was good at that. You know, I've 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 been saying that I feel like Tommy Novak is the next Colton Sissons when Colton Sissons, when his career begins to wind down, which is hard to believe how like how long Colton Sissons has been on this team,
0: by the way. Um, And could still play for like six more years on the team. Right. He,
1: you know, Colton Sissons is a dependable player. He's in your lineup every night. He plays important minutes. He can move around the lineup. He's not going to make a lot of highlight reels, but he does a lot of the little things well that, that lead to success. And I feel like that's what Tommy Novak is. So I think if Tommy Novak becomes the next Colton Sissons, to me, I feel like that's the role that Novak is ultimately going to play because he's not going to get the same opportunities next season with you know a healthy Philip Forsberg and Ryan O'Reilly in the mix and a healthy Uso Parson in and and all of that so you know and it really you know I I look at this team I look at the players I signed Ryan O'Reilly I think for
0: four and a half million dollars per season, I think that is a fair value for Ryan well, O'Reilly. Well, so let me, uh, excuse me, let me let, because I did this at the very, very end of the episode last week and I should have done it at the beginning. So I figured I'd get it into our, our episode earlier to make it a little bit more of a, a a crystallized point because I've thought about it since last week. And I do think part of the point of this medium uh, to be able to have some time to think about things, like you said, you've kind of evolved your opinion even as you watched it unfold in the first day of free agency on July 1st to where we are now, a couple of weeks later, you even kind of changed. And that, and that's the whole point of this medium is to take time with our stuff. Think about it. And even through last week's conversation with Michael, I get to the end of the episode and I started seeing the math in my head and I didn't, I wish I would have seen it earlier, but that's again, sort of part of the medium. If you do the math on each one of the three guys, Nyquist, Shen and, and O'Reilly, if you just say, here's what Barry Trotz did. And you can, you can start for certainly with the John Hines for Andrew Burnett conversation. And we, that's the first one. But what he did is he took an $8 million aging and injured Ryan Johansson and he cut that salary in half and then used the same amount of money to put Ryan O'Reilly into his spot at top first line center. And I think you could argue that Ryan O'Reilly is a better piece for this team at the exact same price as Ryan Johansson. Basically, exactly $8 million. So if you're basically going one for one, similar age, Ryan O'Reilly's probably going to get you more over the next four seasons or let's say two, and then you trade him. I agree with you. Could have been three years. That would have been a better deal. But essentially, you're going one for one. Is this team better with Ryan O'Reilly as a center or Ryan Johansson as your top center? I think the answer is Ryan O'Reilly for basically the exact same amount of money. You take Matias Ekholm for six and a quarter, and you trade him away, and you get, in return... You get Luke Shen, Tyson Berry, and Tanner Molendyke for essentially the same amount of money. And then what you're going to do is you're probably going to trade Tyson Berry potentially. You're going to develop Tanner Molendyke, and you have Luke Shen taking a role of top line defense pair to, to go with Roman Yossi. And he's going to knock some people around who ever try to mess with 59. And you've done it for zero more dollars, basically, or 250K that you have to pay for a TS home salary. So you get Barry, again, same price. You get Molendyke, Barry, and Shen. Then you go, I'm going to give you Tanner. I'm going to go Tanner Janot, and I'm going to go Matt Duchesne. Get that money off the books, and I'm going to sign Gustav Nyquist. And again, that's the one where you can kind of go, this year it makes sense. Year four and five, maybe it makes sense. It's the two years in the middle where you're going to pay a ton of money on the buyout that you kind of go, I don't get it. But again, still about $8 million per year over the over the course of the three years yet yeah, no chance gustav nyquist scores 30 goals a season or 25 whatever Matt shane's gonna do for dallas but and if you do if you do it like that if you do the exercise like that i could argue that they have filled their spots one for one and only gotten worse at one position two positions i mean like you could still trade any of these three free agents. You could still trade Carrier. You could still trade Fabro. You could still trade Saros this year. Like you could still have another sell-off at the deadline. And oh, by the way, we're going to put a competitive team together with some people that maybe teach our young players how to be professionals. I don't know. That That to me is the argument if I'm Barry Trotz.
1: And I, and I think that is a, a a sound argument. I think you make a lot of good points there. You know, I just, you know, there the other things that, the other things that I am skeptical about are, again, with those with those younger slash inexperienced players. We saw some things from them last season that were that were encouraging. But I have twenty five years of data to suggest that the likelihood of those players becoming high end forwards on the Nashville predators, their odds are against it because, the Predators, as we know, have struggled to find and develop those types of players. Now, it's a new regime. Barry Trotts is the GM and Andrew Burnett is the coach. And, but Barry coached those players for a lot of coached the first 15 years of this of this organization and you know, played a role in the development or lack thereof of, of the younger the younger players uh, that were coming up at that time. So. I think there are reasons to be encouraged by what we saw from the young players, but I had, you know, when it comes to drafting and developing defensemen and goalies, I have proof of concept like yeah. Tanner Molendike. Like I am, I, you know, I he, would be he's going to be
0: good, dude. He's going to be good.
1: I would be confident <laughs> that the predators can develop him into a good defenseman because yeah. how many defensemen have they turned into top tier Defensemen in their history, we know the list, and, and the same thing in goal. You know that's why, although Yaroslav Askarov had you know maybe a so-so season overall in the AHL, you know I would be confident that the Predators can develop to him into an yeah. NHL-caliber goalie because they've done it many times before. The Predators are good. We mentioned Colton Sissons before, and I think Colton Sissons is the prime example. Colton Sissons is a dependable solid player that you can put in your lineup every night and, and count on him in, in, in big situations, but he's not a household name and the predators, that's kind of how their, their forwards have been developed. You know, they have a lot, there are a lot of forwards that were drafted or developed by the predators out there that have been good play who have been good, steady players in the NHL, but how many of them have turned into superstars, um, I and mean, you could make the case i guess you know maybe kevin fiala is on his way there but it didn't happen here it happened in minnesota and now in los angeles yeah. you know the thing i always go back to is the highest scoring forward drafted by the predators all time is scott hartnell and scott hartnell again perfect example 42 years some, in the league hartnell had some great seasons namely in philadelphia but i feel like scott hartnell is the prototype for the type of four that the Predators churn out, which is a solid, gritty guy who can ha- who has his moments, but isn't going to be yeah. you know a core member of a team.
0: I, I think if if we're gonna five years from now evaluate Barry Trotz on this entire process, this entire again, where I think we we the apex of the turn is was sort of like this this season is sort of the apex of the turn, the turnaround, whatever you want to call it, rebuild whatever. Like, there's, there's no way that Joachim Kimmel, Luke Evangelista, Philip Tomasino, uh, Zachary LaRue, Igor Afanasyev, who, like, what of that group, and you can probably add some up. Matthew Wood belongs in there, and then whoever they pick first round next year. Of these group, like these six, seven, eight first round, second round guys, th- three of them have to be stars for it to have been worth it, for, for the whole thing to have worked, and for the process, you know, trust the process, right? Like, if the Barry Trott's turnaround is going to work, Andrew Brunette has to be good, and probably at least three of those names have to turn into like 25 goal forward scorers that play on the top six. Like Evangelista's shown us a little bit of that already. Is Joachim Kimmel going to be that guy? Is Matthew Wood going to turn into the power forward that they want him to be? Like, some three of these guys have to be stars. Like, and I don't mean like Colton Sisson's good, they need to be better than James Neal. <laughs> like, yeah. Like if James Neal is like if Craig Smith is your bar, they all have to be better than Craig Smith for for this whole entire thing to have worked. And Craig Smith stra- is
1: another perfect example of like right. the typical predators drafted and developed forward. He's straight, another perfect example.
0: Straight line guy scores twenty one goals a year. Fine player, fine. He's a guy, and I think all the, I think they need two or three of these guys to be Philip Forsberg level good. Like they, they, they don't need to be 42 goals, but they need to be star power on the top line. And I know, but otherwise, like, otherwise, what was the point of the entire thing? Right. Like there's, there's, so whether it's next year's draft, Matthew Wood this year, and then like the three or four or five guys they've got in the farm system, like they, they need at least three stars out of the deal. And Barry Trotz has said that out loud, you know? And And, I said, I said this to Michael last week. It may not be Andrew Burnett that benefits from all this. There's, I remember you and I, when we started this show, saying, look, John Hines is the guy for now, but he might not be the guy long term. They might have two of those guys. <laughs> and and that's not fair to him because he, he could be an, a spectacular coach. But there's a chance that this three years, they're not good. And some coaches don't survive that part of the rebuild. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. Right. Like, you know, I mentioned Kevin Fiala before.
1: Now, I think maybe a, a more, you know a better example might be, you know, or another example might be Ellie Tolvanen. Like Ellie Tolvanen went to Seattle and became a key member of that team's third line. And when, you know, when stories were being written about Tolvanen and how he had, you know, how he had joined the crack and it was being productive almost immediately. And he was talking about, you know, the Predators never really, you know, never really putting him in a, in the same position every night. Like some nights we need you to score and some nights we need you to defend. Well, one thing we know about Tolvanen is although he can play sound defensive hockey, that's not his bread and butter. And they put him on a line in Seattle, I think, with Yanni Gord and I can't remember who else. Maybe Alex Wenberg. I can't remember who his other linemate was, but he was with that line every night and was a very productive player. And and it doesn't reflect well on doesn't reflect well on the Predators and their sure. development that he went somewhere else and, and became a productive everyday player for the a crack
0: understatement of the history of Predators content right there. Um, <laughs> what here's my question. And maybe you've got some, and this is a little bit of a side side note here, but I'm curious do you, cause that, that style of hockey is what I think fans gravitate towards. It's what allowed Tolvan to flourish. It's a little bit more positionless. And Andrew Burnett has talked a little bit about having more flexibility and being a more positionless team Sometimes that means you don't, as I said last week, sometimes it just means you don't have enough good players. Um, But that wasn't necessarily the case with Seattle. Do do you feel when studying Andrew Brunette that he has the style of hockey that will lead the organization to capitalizing on those skills that people like Tolvin and have? Again, LaRue, Evangelista, Tomasino, Afanasyev, Kemmel, Svechkov, you name it. Some of these guys have to be stars, and they have to flourish in a system that allows them to play that way.
1: Right. And when you look at when you look at the the Florida Panthers under Brunette, so as the interim coach, he coached 75 games. So you take out the first seven. So you look at those 75 games now, they were the highest scoring team in the league. Now, not only were they the highest scoring team in the league two seasons ago, I think they, they averaged more than four goals per game. That was the highest per game average of the cap era of any team in the cap era. and. The reason why they were able to do that was because Brunette, you know, played a style that was quite up and down. When you look at the, the raw numbers, the Panthers of two seasons ago, the team that won the President's Trophy, was one of the most freewheeling teams in the NHL in terms of chances off the rush. Now, they ran, in, the problem was they, they ran into the Tampa Bay Lightning in the second round, and the Tampa Bay Lightning knew how to shut that down. And the Panthers couldn't score. But the thing about the process was there because, although the Panthers, you know, just because, you know, just as the Panthers led the league in scoring that season, they were also leading the league, if if I recall correctly, in expected goals per game, which we've talked about. And expected goals is just a fancy way of saying, based on the shot attempts that the Panthers were getting. And there are other factors that determine that, not just the location of the shot, but what happened before the shot, like what kind of pass was made or things of that nature. You know, the Panthers, I believe, led the league in expected goals per game too. So not only were they scoring a bunch, they were creating high quality scoring chances. Now, one would hope if you're a Predators fan that Brunette brings that to Nashville and the same thing happens and players that play that offensive style of game, like Philip Forsberg, like you know, they thrive in a system that perhaps is more tailored to their talents than John Hines' system was. The other caveat, of course, is that look at the players that were playing for Andrew Burnett for the Florida Panthers in (laughs) 2021-2022. There's no Jonathan Uberdo on this team. There's no Alex Barkov on this team. There's no Carter Verhege on this team. There's no, I think Anthony Duclair was on that team too. There's no Anthony Duclair on this team. Like, well, maybe there is, I don't know. But Five
0: five minutes into your answer, you got to that part. Right.
1: I like that. It's just that, you know, I I think the Predators will be, I I think we talked about this the last time I was on here. I think the Predators are going to be far more entertaining to watch because of how Andrew Burnett likes to play the game. But is, you know, I don't think Predators fans are expecting that the, you know, the Predators, I don't think that fans are expecting that they're going to score four goals a game. It's just, it's not going to happen. The, the talent discrepancy is, is vast between the Predators of this coming season and the Panthers of two seasons ago. But I like to think that, that based on what I saw from the Panthers and their process the year they won the President's Trophy under Brunette, that that should bode well for the top end players on the Predators in terms of being able to generate high quality chances in and score some goals.
0: That was a halfway decent take by you, Adam. Uh, well done. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done. Uh, go to Jasper's, everybody. I, I do want to, I've got lots more stuff to, to ask you, but I just remind everybody about our wonderful and amazing friends and partners over at Jasper's. Uh, of course, proud sponsors and partners of your Nashville Predators gold standard cocktail, uh, which I had over the weekend uh still delicious very it's a perfect drink for the summertime when it's hot outside which it is right now uh even though we've had a very wet summer here which is my plants love uh it's been very hot as usual very humid and of course uh special thanks to jasper's for providing free parking and a halfway decent place to eat i do appreciate that so go go to go to jasper's everybody um okay uh i want to get into matt Duchesne's legacy i want to get into uh ryan johansson's legacy i want to set your expectations but so quickly let's start with like the expectations here uh and i think competing for like as long as you have uc Saros, i think competing for a playoff spot if some of the young players develop and some of those veterans and, and listening to you talk about uh like how you you view andrew burnett the more freewheeling thing to me that makes even more sense than why barry trotz would go get some like stable pieces if that makes sense right like If they're going to let the young kids do the freewheeling part, well, we better have somebody kind of to keep it all in control a little bit. And maybe that's where Shen and McDonough and, you know, Barry and um, O'Reilly and and these guys, that's where their personalities and their experience and their sort of toughness and, you know, kind of their IQ part of the game comes into play. Because if they actually do want to have a winning record, get some young players some experience give something entertaining for the fans to pay for, to come watch and to, for people to pay attention to. Well, freewheeling is good. Freewheeling is entertaining. Freewheeling sells tickets. It scores goals. It allows young players to gain confidence, but you also can't be given up seven goals on the back end. And so that's where I think maybe some of the moves then makes a little bit more sense to some degree. If you kind of view it, you know, through that lens.
1: Right. I remember when I moved to Washington DC for college in 2007, which makes me feel old, even though you're older than me. Um, Not necessary.
0: Okay. Um,
1: that was when the Washington Capitals were starting their upswing. Now that was Ovechkin and Nick Backstrom, Mike Green, Alex Semen. And those teams were run and gun as, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like that, that was Bruce Boudreau starting his NHL coaching career. And man, those games were fun to watch. And I'm not saying that these Predators are going to be those capitals, but that was entertaining hockey, even if the end result wasn't always what you wanted as a fan. And I think, you know, you know, I have, you know, I, you know, I think as we talk, we've talked about, I think that John Hines was the right coach for the Predators at the time he was hired. But as I, as I've said on here many times, I'd always felt like he was a transitional coach. He was the coach to get their heads out of their asses after they, you know, they hit rock bottom, which multiple players have said, you know, around the time that Peter Lavillette was fired, they had hit rock bottom. It was really that loss to Dallas in the winter classic. That was sort of the, the, you know, the bottoming out point, you know, he, you know, John Hines got them back into, you know, the right frame of mind and instilled work ethic in them. And I know Predators fans were, a lot of Predators fans were tired of hearing that. But I do think that Hines got them to the probably the point where he was going to take them, and Brunette comes in. You know, he 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 did well as an associate coach last season with New Jersey. Their power play was great. They were a high scoring team. That team was so much fun to watch. You know, the Devils were an up and down team too, with Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer and later Timo Meyer. So I, I see I, I see the Predators taking on that a little bit and you know, it helps that they have a goalie who stops a lot of pucks that maybe he shouldn't. Otherwise, you know, these could be some high scoring games on both ends. Um, I just but,
0: the Heinz, the Heinz era is just a fascinating, it, it really is. So I mean, it really
1: is. And, you know, you know, I know people will look at the starts and the stops and the COVID and the 56 game season and, and the bubble and all of that. Context, 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 yes, context. It, yeah. Yes, it's in, that's important context. But, you know, John, you know, John got, I feel like they kind of, they maxed out under John Hines. Like this is like where, where they were is where they were going to be. And it, it, yeah.
0: Well, go, I just, it's, well, I've got these, thought, these two thoughts in my head about John Hines, because my first thought was while you were talking, I'm going like, well, how would I define the John Hines era? And did they really actually accomplish anything from that point of bottoming out to when they actually made the big transition? David Poyle steps away, Barry Trotz jettisons players. They actually do commit to changing, right? Like they, new GM, new coach, new players, full new organization, even new ownership, right? Is taking over here soon. They've hired some people in the front office now. Like it's new, it, it's brand new. I think but the we,
1: problem, I think the problem, like to answer your question about how to define the Hines era, I think the problem is a lot of the things that John did well are intangible. Like, I just, I don't think there are things that, I, I, I just don't, when you look at the stats and the wins in the playoff series, it doesn't reflect well on
0: him. Well, what's interesting about that, so it's interesting you say the tangible word, because I think that's, the, my first thought was, well, like, obviously it was just a failure. But... If you think about all the context that you laid out and all the things that he dealt with, and then you go, all right, there was a really big push in the second half of that COVID-shortened season that was really fun to watch. That, that, that was a fun team to watch down the stretch. The Carolina series was a fun series to watch. Sure, they didn't win, but that was a team that, that, that Nashville Predators fans could be proud of how they played. They were physical. They were fun. They had some young people, the herd line, you know, like the whole thing. Then they have all the record-breaking stuff that happens. With Yosi and du- Duchesne and um, uh, Forsberg, like that, that's those are like genuinely historic statistical seasons by those three players.
1: Yeah. And so and, and so yeah, like
0: and- so like you can you can point to a couple of tangible things at the same time. You also have to point to zero playoff wins, not a lot of progress as an organization. Like there's also a lot of just blah about those three seasons. Right. And it's and it's hard to quantify that other than like okay, they had a really great push end of the postseason during a very strange season where they played like half eastern conference teams and they had a very fun statistical chase of a season but there was largely no other growth and you could argue some of that to me is more on David Poyle not really pulling out the the blocks and rebuilding but trying to do it on the fly and at least now as a fan you know that they're they're doing it for real Um, It may be all terrible and all these decisions decisions could be bad. Barry Trotz may not be the right guy. Andrew Burnett may not be the right. Like you don't know, like everyone's guessing at this stuff at this point. Right.
1: And I think just because of how stale things had gotten over the past several years, you know, Barry Trotz coming in, doing all the things he did, you know, Andrew Burnett's, you know, impressive, but short body of work. You know, I think it's, you know, it excites predators fans. Like I, I, do think that although this team nationally will have very, li- very little expectations, you know, I, I, I will be surprised if anybody picks the predators to make the playoffs next season. And are they better than
0: Arizona or Chicago?
1: Yes, they're better than Arizona. Okay. I mean, am I not? In regards to Chicago, I'm not much. I'm not sure how much longer I'll be able to say that. To yeah. be honest,
0: no, I, I, agree. Um, I
1: agree. But you know, yes, they're, they're better than those teams. I mean, really, I think their, their ceiling is basically where they were at the end of last season. I think, you know, ninth, 10th in the West, you know, something, something along those lines, but, you know, I think there are reasons for excitement for predators fans. There's reasons to look forward to next season. You know, I just, you know, I just, it really, it really hinges on those young players and, you know, is Luke Evangelista, for example, a guy who is going to be like Philip Forsberg, where he's going to be your top six winger every year for the next eight to ten years? Like, is that? Do we like? Do we know that? We don't know that, of course.
0: But we history could learn su-
1: it. We could, and history suggests that. It, you know, he's got a uh, he's got a hill t- uh, to climb there. But you know, I think there are things to look forward to. Steps to be taken. And I think that's why Predator fans, you know, should be, you know, looking forward to next I, season in a way that they may not have looked over, look forward to the last few seasons.
0: I think it's why it took me a process to get to the free agent move analysis and, or, or at least my thoughts on those moves. Because when you talk about like, man, what's, what are people excited about? It's, it's Evangelista, Tomasino, Afanasiev. It's all the young players. It's, you know, Soros, it's Yossi, it's Forsberg being healthy, those two guys being healthy again. It, you, you are not excited to buy tickets because of Gustav Nyquist and Luke Shen. It's just not it, it's not what they're selling tickets around, um, but it allows them to be stable and competitive on a night in night out basis, while hopefully the young kids attract the the eyes and the ears and the community and bring in people as fans with some excitement and some offense. So, I listen, I, I see what they're trying to do. I could also see why you should trade everybody at the deadline again and continue to keep trying to rebuild and continue to keep trying to suck to get even better draft capital and even more assets uh, moving forward. But we'll, we'll see about that. OK, I, I think you're right. I think competing for a wild card spot with a winning record is probably about where they're going to be 41 and 38 and, you know, whatever, whatever the numbers are uh, or, or, you know, 39 and 32 and 10 or something like that. Uh, I think it's probably about right. Um, okay, I, we talked a little bit about Johansson. I talked about his statistical sort of resume. He says goodbye on Instagram, of course, to all of his fans. I think he'll be remembered for a lot of things, of course, the, the cup run, the, the sense of humor, um, the hands, the skill. He is one of the most productive players in playoff history. He's one of the most productive players in franchise history, in large part due to there not being a ton of elite talents on offense, but also his longevity here. Um, fans loved him. I just I think last week I said on the show something along the lines of just kind of like what could have been is how I really feel about Ryan Johansson's legacy. But also maybe that's not fair. So because, you know, he he was always good to me, even if you didn't always understand his sense of humor. (laughs) But but I just wanted to ask because we'll get to Shane in a second. But just wanted to get your opinion on Johansson and if there's any stories from the beat that you'd like to tell. Oh, no. Ryan
1: Johansson is is the best center the Predators have ever had, like bar none. Like it's not it, it it's not you know they've had you know look they had Peter Forsberg, but was it really Peter Forsberg at the time they had Peter Forsberg or Paul Korea at the time they had Paul Korea? Like I think no. Korea played center. I I, I never remember. He was a winger. Uh, yeah, whatever. But point being, like he Ryan Johansson is the best center the Predators have ever had. And I remember how big of a deal it was that they traded Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson in January of 2016. And you know, I, you know, I, was at his, I was at his first game. The Predators were in Colorado. He scores like a few minutes in on, I think, his first shot. It was like a really tight angle shot, really nice shot. And yeah, I know Predator, the popular thing is talking about well, what what would have happened if Johansson hadn't gotten injured in the western in the Western Conference Final? What could have happened in the Stanley Cup Final? There's a lot of that. And I think if you want to believe that the Predators could have won the championship if Johansson would have been healthy,
0: I, I mean, who
1: knows? Um, he was still I, having
0: Sidney Crosby, Kenny Malkin. Yeah, I'm not going to steal that joy from you, but the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> Look,
1: I I, I would. I, Look this up. I wanted to look up where Ryan Johansson Ranked in points per game as a In, in the playoffs franchise History and I, I set the minimum At 10 games um, So there are 69 nice players Who played who have played 10 Playoff games for the Predators Only two players have a higher Points per game average than Johansson Who had 48 points in 61 Games which is 0.79 Points per game. Joel Ward who had 17 points in 18 games, and Jay, and Paul Correa, who had nine points in 10 games. Johansson was a playoff performer. He showed up, of course, in the in the 2017 playoffs, but he was also really good in the uh, in the following year with against Colorado and Winnipeg. You know, the thing that hurt Ryan a lot was his his personality. Like like he like I I really liked working with ryan johansson you know was was he was a fun guy had a laid back had a good sense of humor you know was always willing to answer questions good or bad the thing is when you have that sort of laid back demeanor and things aren't going well for you on the ice people assume you're lazy and i think that's something that dogged johansson you know, later in his Predators career, when the points weren't there, people would say that he's not trying hard enough. And I never got that sense from Ryan Johansson. Like Ryan Johansson really cared about being productive. And even the seasons he didn't put up a lot of points, he still did a lot of things well. He just didn't put up the points. And when, you know, when things are going well and he's cracking wise and, and playing, a good, you know, people like that. But when, when he's not, people think it's, you know, people think that it's, you know, a detriment and holding you know, holding the team back and whether or not he's focused enough on, on being a good player, which I find to be mostly BS. Um, so I, I think Colorado is a really good spot for him. You know, he's not going to have to be the guy there, you know, he'll play behind Nathan McKinnon pressure will be off. And I I think he's going to do well there. I think Predators fans should remember Johansson's time here fondly. I yep. you know, I yep. think that yep. the you know, we'll get to Duchesne here in a minute, but I, I think, you know, the Barry Trotz's decision to move off of Johansson and Duchesne, and the way I've described it is both of them are not the they're not the players that are necessarily going to drag you into the fight. They're the players that might need some dragging to get into the fight. Yeah, that's good, which is not what Barry Trotz wants. And I would say that Ryan O'Reilly and Luke Shen specifically do the dragging versus being dragged. So I I think that, you know, it plays a part in why the Predators wanted to move on. But, you know, I I think Predators fans should be, you know, should, you know, as I said, remember Johansson fondly. He was a highly productive member of this team for a long time. He he was a good, he was, he was good in the community. He was a good, you know, he was the face of the franchise. He represented it well. So you know, I think I think that is how he should be remembered, Matthew
0: Shane's. Well, no, hang on, hang on, yes. uh, because I think it's important to reiterate: best center maybe in franchise history, which is a pretty bold statement. Uh, he he's eighth all time in games played in the playoffs, uh, sixty-one games. Uh, only Philip Forsberg has scored more goals: twenty-nine for Forsberg, seventeen for Ryan Johansson. Nobody's only Forsberg is the only one ahead of him on the list. No one is ahead of him on the list in assists at, at total. It's actually Yossi Ellison Johansson all tied for first with 31 assists. Uh his 48 playoff points are second all time to only Philip Forsberg. And here's an interesting one that I know is not a great indicator of anything, but I just find it fascinating. I just wanted to share it with you because I just I, I saw it and all this stuff I said last week on the show, because he's he's basically top five in all those numbers in the regular season as well. Um, in franchise history, <laughs> Ryan Johansson in 61 playoff games has a plus 10. Uh, rating in the postseason, Roman Yossi (laughs) in 85 games played in the playoffs, minus 28. (laughs) Yeah, a 38 plus minus swing. So, again, I know it doesn't mean a whole lot, but I just mean, who would you, who if you were to counter like
1: if my Johansson best center history argument, who would you, who would you counter?
0: I I think talent wise, there's nobody. I don't think there's a talent, and, and again, a person who played for more than like a year, you know, right. Like, um,
1: like, would you, I mean, you could say, I mean, does, me, does Mike Fisher does he, has all the points. Mike Fisher yeah. was a captain here and played here for a long time. Uh,
0: I uh, There's not a lot of options, man. I know so you're that's... a Mike Ribeiro
1: guy, you know, <laughs> but. You shut the um, hell up. Go to Jasper, shut the hell up. Yeah, um, but, uh, no, I think, halfway, I think Fisher halfway decent place to have a, have a conversation about the Predator. Ha-
0: halfway decent. I think Mike Fisher, if he was just like a slightly Better if he had just a little bit more skill, I could say that his intangibles and leadership and toughness and physicality and work ethic and all that stuff makes him just a little bit better. But like, not he's not more talented than Ryan Johansson. Right, Ryan no. Johansson. I, I think I agree with you that Ryan Johansson is the best center in franchise history, and we don't have to put any caveats on it. We can just say that. Right.
1: <laughs> and, and, I mean, and, I know it's a, it's a it's a it's not a star-studded list or anything, right? Like, right. But he he's on top and. You know, Duchesne, you know, Matt Matt Duchesne is interesting. Like, I didn't get to know Matt Duchesne the way I got to know Ryan Johansson because Matt Duchesne got here. And then, you know, that was the, the season that was shut down because of the pandemic and we weren't in the dressing room. So I didn't get to know Matt the same way I got to know Ryan. And But, you know, I I thought, you know, he's... The all you know, he had the best goal scoring season in Predators history. Like, that's his record right now. And who knows when it will be broken? Like, that was that's his record. You know, that nine, was a really great-
0: nine career playoff points for Matt Duchesne as a Nashville Predator in how many games? 14. Zero playoff wins, five goals,
1: zero playoff
0: series wins. Sorry, he zero zero games. playoff series yeah. wins. He did win playoff games, but he didn't win these series, right? But I think like all the context around Johansson. That we right. just included, which includes the memorable. I mean, anybody attached to the 17 team is going to be viewed differently. Better or for worse. Yes, It just is what it is. I also think the way that they courted each other publicly affects the way people view this. It was David sure. Boyle's white whale, and he yeah. did not turn out. Even though he does spend, score 43 goals, he, he did not have the team did not change because of Matt Duchesne. And... And the way it ended, buying him out versus trading him, even Johansson's injured, Matt Duchesne's not. Like it's just the context acquiring him, how he played here, and then the context about how it ended, it's all more positive for Ryan Johansson in a, in a if that's if it, if you're just gonna go like positive negative. Yeah, for sure.
1: And I, I think that
0: Duchesne was
1: miscast here. Duchesne is that's not, good. Duchesne is not a face of the franchise leader, you know, guy, you know, he's not, he's not that type of guy. And, 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 you know, because as you said, there was so much hype about Matt Shane in Nashville. I mean, I even remember David Poyle saying after the Predators acquired Kyle Turris, which of course, Dushane was involved in that trade going from Colorado to Ottawa, David Poyle David Poyle even said that it's no secret that we were interested in Matt Duchesne like and it didn't work out and he ended up helping another team get Matt Duchesne but like this is something that was clear since the the All-Star game you know in 2016 when he was wearing a cowboy hat doing doing his shootout shtick. like it, it was it was bound to happen and because of that there were so many expectations for Matt Duchesne and he did have that one good season but i just felt that there was here, he was expected to do more than I think he is capable of doing.
0: That's, and That's fair.
1: And I think that's why Dallas is such a good landing spot for him. Like, I don't know if I could have picked a better spot. Oh, he's going to score 20. He's going to score 25.
0: He's going to score 25 goals.
1: Because he is at best the fourth best forward on that team. And he yeah. might not even be the fourth best forward on a team. He might be the fifth or sixth best forward on that team. Yeah. But he, he's going to play you know, underneath Robertson and Pavelski and Hintz, and he's going to be productive. And he's going to, he's going to, he's a good secondary scorer. He's, you know, here, he was expected to be the primary scorer or one of the primary scorers, and it worked for a little while. But I I just, I think miscast is the word I go to. I just think that what he was, what was expected of him versus what his career suggested he should be, two different things
0: you, like I, I, I agree and and I don't think like you I got to know Johansson a lot more I did a lot more work with Johansson I, I was not around Matt Duchesne nearly as much I, Duchesne is a he's a really
1: he's a really nice guy yeah good family man you know yes. like there there are things to like I think the problem I think the thing with Duchesne is you know there were times you know and I and there there were times where I got a bit of a P.K. Subban vibe from Matt (laughs) Duchesne in the sense that like, look, we like talk like reporters like talking to Matt Duchesne because he's a good talker and he he's he's transparent. But there were times where you were talking to him or you would see him interact with others and you wondered, is this an act? Like, is he putting on a little bit? And, you know, P.K. Subban, I, I feel like that 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 was sort of. You know, that was a knock, that's always been a knock against P.K. Subban is the guy loves the cameras and, he you know, he turns on the charm when the cameras are around. And there is some truth to that. And I think that Matt Duchesne, not the same, but I think can fall into a similar category I, where it seems like he can come off this is, where he can be coming yeah. off as a bit phony. I, I think that didn't help him.
0: I am curious and we'll never know. But I am I am curious how much of Matt Duchesne's public and I want to know what the private conversations were like, like, did he just convince David Poyle that he was the guy that needed the the big contract? And I don't really think that David Poyle does anything without his own convictions. But there was so much public pressure around the courtship of Matt Duchesne and Matt Duchesne doing so much stuff publicly to sort of signal to everybody that he wanted to be here so much, and then he gets the eight years and the sixty-four million, and like it's this huge, or I guess it was seven years, fifty-six million, seven he has, years, eight million. Yeah, huge, this huge contract, and like it, it, it felt like Duchesne got what he wanted out of the deal, and then didn't sort of deliver his end of the bargain for David Poyle, slash the community, slash the city, and I don't mean like doing community work; I mean like the fans scoring and winning games, and it's like. How much of the the eventual courtship that ended in the big contract was Matt Duchesne like pushing David Poyle and saying, Bring me in, bring me in. I want to be here. I want to be here. Give me the money. Give me the money. And then he does, and he gets one really memorable season out of the deal and no playoff wins.
1: And I remember I just just don't know. I remember there being reports leading into free agency that season that Duchesne might command nine million dollars a season. So when he when he signed for eight, I was like, that actually seems like a bargain compared to everything that we had been hearing. But no, I mean, Matt Duchene obviously did not live up to the contract, and you know, I, I the Barry Trotz had the quote about we don't want you to come to national to retire. We want you to come here to win. And everyone, you know, assumes that that was a, a shot at Duchesne and or Johansson, and maybe it was a little bit. But you know, I just I just go back to what I was saying. I just think that Duchesne, is not should not be the focal point of a team like that's just not his personality that's just not the type of player he is like when he went to when he went to columbus at the deadline like he he was great that year that 20th that 2018 playoffs or 2019 playoffs rather when the blue jackets you know you know swept the lightning but like they had artemi Panera. You know, they had other guys on that team. Like he, he was a big, he was a part of that sweep, but he wasn't the part. He wasn't the main part of it. And it's just he's not. He he is the per. He is perfectly suited to be a secondary figure on your team, which is what he's going to be in Dallas, and that's why I think he's going to do well. I I I mean, I do. He would not shock me in the slightest if Matt Duchesne scores thirty goals next season. Oh yeah, like it just it, it won't. But it was like here in the role he was supposed to play, it wasn't
0: enough. And, and That's two and a half million dollars the Preds are paying him to uh, score those thirty goals. The question is going to be how many goals does he score for five and a half million next year and six and a half million the year after that? Those <laughs> yeah, are the two. Counts. Those are the two. This one I think fans can fans can handle it. It's six million dollars in savings this year. He's off the team. Culture change the thing. Blah 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 blah. Turn the page. You know whatever. But I, I think it's going to be the next. It's the two years after that where where you are going to pay him eleven million. And maybe he's retired at that point that you don't feel as bad. And I don't know. But when he's scoring 25 or 30 goals for your division rival and you're paying him two and a half mil for that, that's not going to sit all that all that well. So we we shall see. Um, I, I got, there's lots of other stuff we're going to spend the summer talking about because there's so much more to discuss with this team. Uh, but I wanted to kind of get your 10,000 foot view of the entire strategy and talk a little Andrew, Andrew Brunette and Matt Duchesne, Ryan Johansson, etc. Go to Jaspers, of course, as well. Um, anything else you want to add uh, in terms of like, how this entire thing has played out any particular player that you think they should have held on to or should not have acquired or anything at all that really stands out to you that you want to kind of finish up on.
1: (laughs) I I think the Luke Shen contract is an objectively bad contract. (laughs) Like I, I, I like O'Reilly is, it's probably a year too long, but the cap hit is, is right. Like that is what Ryan O'Reilly is worth. Nyquist, the the, the term is only two years. I could live with that. Shen's contract is I like you know, con, as we've talked about, context is important, and the predators could afford to pay him that. But just based on the player Luke Shen is, it's an objectively bad contract. I remember when they when I saw that they signed him, I went back to his cap friendly page and looked at his previous four contracts. I believe three of the four were one-year deals, and there was one, one two-year deal in there. The combined total value of his previous four contracts. Contracts was four million dollars. And the Predators signed him for 2.75 a year. And I I have from all accounts, he's a great guy. Um he, he'll, he'll help. Um, he'll help. Um, you know, he's sort of a throwback, he's definitely a throwback player. Yeah. You know, in the sense that he He's
0: there to protect Yossi. He
1: hits. I mean, not only not only is Lu Shen. The, you know, not only did Luke Shen lead the league in hits last season, he leads all defensemen in the NHL all time in hits, which they've only been tracking for twenty years. But you know, since they started tracking hits, he no defenseman has more hits than Luke Shen. So, like his game is, he plays physical, but he really is a, a relic of a of a different era. I just think that, you know, I think that contract is going to age really badly. Okay, and I, I understand way to, way to
0: end it on a high note. Appreciate that
1: a Dan high note. Um, but no, look like I think O'Reilly, I think O'Reilly's is a really good player. Like I, I do think he's got a good amount left in the tank. I think he might be asked to play a bit more of a higher role. than He probably should be here, but I think, I, I think he is going to pay dividends for them. You know, I think I, I really do think that that was a, a, a savvy signing, like the bringing in Ryan O'Reilly. Right. Like con- contract aside, bring the player and what
0: he can still do, I think was a, a really savvy sign. Um, I think you but, Parson and benefits the most of anybody because of him like learning.
1: Yeah. Think, Cody, part- Cody
0: Glass too. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Cody Glass. Yeah.
1: And you know, if I, if I'm Andrew Burnett, I'm putting Luke Evangelista on the line with Ryan
0: O'Reilly, like, and top and, line minutes. All right.
1: I would my I, I went through this exercise the other day. I, I, my top line for next season would be Forsberg, O'Reilly, and Evangelista. Right like out of the gate, like, that's what I would start with. And right. think my second line was Nyquist, Glass, and Tomasino. That sounds
0: right too. That's what we um, talked about. La- that's what we talked about last week on the show. Yeah, that's, so- that's what that's what predators fans should want to have happened coming out of camp. Meaning right. that meaning that Tomasino and Evangelista have proven enough to get a chance to start on the top two lines. On game one that yes. is that would be best case scenario and that is why you have a bunch of stable grizzled chiseled veterans on around them is to get them as safe a position to play on the top two lines as possible and then you just say look you so tommy novak and the rest of you guys just go to town down there in the bottom six and see what happens so. i think i had
1: parson in centering the third line and novak centering the fourth line
0: okay i can see that i can see that all right uh thank you for hanging out adam always a pleasure to see you my man um give my uh peace and love to the family great to see you you can follow him on twitter if you want plenty of uh snark and cynicism (laughs) and uh you know all that good stuff sarcasm at adam bingen of course as well please go to jasper's Uh, go support local business they have spectacular parking spectacular menu great game room nothing halfway decent about it it's all spectacular and that is what you should expect from the next evolution of the sports bar. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.